On this week's episode of Friend Code, we're going to talk about the original Link's Awakening. Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Friend Code. I'm your host, Michael Damiani. This week, I'm joined by special guest Ash Paulson of Game Explain. Thank you so much for having me. You guys know how much I love being here. Oh, it's so, and I'm ready to talk Link's Awakening, that's for sure. Always a pleasure to have you here. And Kyle Bossman of Easy Allies. Hello everyone. Hello. I'm also pleased to be here. Thank, <laughs> Thank you for you, having Kyle. me here. I was like, I want you to be pleased to be here. Yes, Kyle I'm Mossman. pleased. You know what? I'm pleased. You know here. what? Next time I'm on the podcast, I'm like, I'm displeased yes. to be here, Kyle. <laughs> no, it means something. Uh, pleased. No, it's an I'm honor. Pleased. Yes. Uh, what was the thing you used to say at the beginning of uh, GT Time? Uniquely talented. Something. And something. Yeah. Oh, I forget. I remember the uniquely talented part. Mm-hmm. But that was. I always felt like each week having to say that. That's incredibly. Uh, Uniquely knowledgeable and talented. There you go. Oh, yes. nice. We got nice. Okay. Yes. Nice. Very clever with that stuff. Um, we are going to be talking about the original Link's Awakening. Before we get to that, I want to go through some quick headlines. Quick headlines. Kind of a way I think about starting the podcast going forward with the friend code is there's a lot of Nintendo news. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't like this show to become too long. I, I like it to hit about like an hour long. Sure. But a lot of recent weeks, it has gone way <laughs> over that. Mm-hmm. And some of it's a little out of my hand. Nintendo Directs, what are you going to do? you got to talk about everything. Of course. But maybe there's a way to like speed it up, and we don't have to dwell on a certain topic for so long, so we're going to make it quick news. Okay. It's like when you go to the eShop on the, or the news page on your Switch, you just going through those headlines and stuff, you just scroll through them. Mm-hmm. don't really I, click I on them. I think we kind of feel the same way about like oh. Game Explain discussions. Like an yeah. hour is kind of like that sweet spot. Once you go over that, it's like you get a little tired. Little, you know, it just becomes a little bit much. We do go over an hour, obviously. People know that. But we try to hit that sweet spot, I think. I like it. I like that. I don't like going too long for a more news-focused podcast. Sure. So first up on our quick news, Fire Emblem Three Houses is the best-selling game in the franchise in the U.S. Already. Yeah. So there's some clarification. There's an asterisk by that. Please, yeah. So we have from MPD analyst Matt Piscatella. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of these days, hopefully, maybe yep. we'll make an appearance on Easy Allies content. We got to find this guy. Yeah, you find yeah. him, Matt. Uh, wanted to follow up on Fire Emblem Three Houses. It ranked as the fourth best-selling game in August in the U.S. sales rankings from the MPD group, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it finished number two in its debut month in July. So nice. you got to think it's selling pretty well. So. Fire Emblem Awakening, uh, according to uh, Matt Piscatella, this is what he said. As you recall, launch month sales of Fire Emblem Three Houses tripled those of the previous best-selling launch month title in the series. Month two sales of Fire Emblem Three Houses were, again, the best in the franchise, (laughs) in franchise's history, excuse me, although not the same multiplier as month one. I like that. The same multiplier. Right. Right. Still a multiplier, though. Throwing that math there. Let's say it's two times. Yeah. Yeah. Can't give away those numbers specifically. Got to be a little bit cryptic. On a lifetime basis, Fire Emblem Awakening remains the best-selling game in franchise history in the U.S. However, I do anticipate Fire Emblem Three Houses to overcome this gap and take the lead in lifetime sales for the franchise in September. Okay. Okay. So just one more month. Yeah. And then rounds it out by saying, and of course, since Nintendo is not currently a member of the Digital Leader panel, I'm only talking about physical sales here. Accounting for digital, I am certain Fire Emblem Three Houses is the best-selling game in franchise he- uh, history, likely by a significant margin, and then shrug. What's a shrug at that? No, that's a, that is surprising <laughs> yeah. to me, though. 3DS games sold like crazy. That is yeah. actually yes. 
Yeah, we're used to the Switch versions of Wii U games selling way better, but the Switch versions of 3DS games selling way better is pretty interesting, too. Especially after Awakening, because that was like the, the yes. darling before this. And it's actually kind of funny when you think about this is a series that was once on its last legs. Like, it wasn't going to be, <laughs> they, it wasn't going to continue unless you know, Awakening was that last correct. gasp. And Awakening did really well. And here we are at Three Houses being, you know, Fire Emblem is easily an A-lister for Nintendo now. There's no question that it's one of Nintendo's A-list series. Uh, and I mean, it's great to see it have this resurgence. That I mean, Fates almost—Fates didn't almost kill it, but I know Fates was a lot less popular than Awakening. So I think it's good to have that kind of recovery period for sure for three uh, three houses. Backing away from multiple versions, sticking to one, despite it being called three houses. But uh, I'm kind of curious if either of you ever felt uh, during the reveal period um, of this game, leading up to its release, did you have any concerns that it might not actually? be a, a breakout title because remember its debut it showed off new stuff mm-hmm. but didn't look very polished i know there was a for me there was a weird window there where i was kind of concerned it might not be a hit and then switch games kept selling well and well and i'm like uh <laughs> it's gonna sell well like did you ever yeah. have a moment where you doubted that this would be a big seller I definitely doubted it would it would surpass Awakening this quickly. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I'm oh, surprised yeah. it's done that this this quickly. Yeah. It, it is more successful than I imagined it would be for mm-hmm. sure. I, I actually coming. I actually know exactly what you're talking about, and I actually okay. I even yeah. tweeted about this in the weeks leading up to the game's release, where I'm just like, I, I'm not a hardcore Fire Emblem fan anyway, but I'm just like, I'm not feeling the hype for this one. I feel like there's something a little off. Fire Emblem fans, how do you feel? And I got a lot of responses like, yeah, something feels a bit off. I did get a lot of responses otherwise too, like, nah, I'm excited, but. Something fell off to me. You know, it was uh, the Persona art style instead of the, the series typical art mm. style, which I love Persona art, but I think I love it more in Persona uh, than in Fire Emblem. And then we, you know, we got the whole thing about the different military academies and you have to, how you have to manage your students, right, and manage all this stuff. And I'm like, this is, I'm getting kind of a Valkyria Chronicles 2 vibe from this. And, you know, if you talk to Valkyria Chronicles fans, they were not happy with that kind yeah, of nope. military academy age down focus. But, I'm eating crow on on that because it turned out to not only to be great but exceed expectations everywhere. I think at the very core of that game, what it does, it still does Fire Emblem right. Right. Uh, it, the tenets of Fire Emblem are still there. They're still pretty well done, but it's also exploring some new stuff. And I think the series had been Awakening was a move in a different direction. Obviously, they beefed up supports. They went with like right. the whole marriage aspect. Whereas now they're just playing up the. It's not marriage per se. It's the social aspect. But everything else is still there. The combat missions and instead of just going to little parts on a map, it's more. It's very more heavily story focused in that each month you're being told where you're going. All that stuff. I think it made it feel familiar yet new at the same time. And it was one of those games. I feel like you had to play whether you're a fireman veteran or not. And I think once you did, for the most part, it sold its message very its message very well mm-hmm. and made believers out of people who played it and that's why I've probably put 120 hours now into this game when I said I was only going to play through it once <laughs> here I am on my third playthrough and yeah I I think it's just got it the secret sauce for Fire Emblem right one more time that's and that's yeah. great to hear. People keep telling me I need to play it, and I mean, a I just don't have time. I mean, right? Who has yeah. hundred? I mean, I'm also I'm already playing the demo for Dragon Quest Eleven S, and that has its hooks in me. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to create a hundred hours to play this game because it is so. It's just enticing me so much. And so, where do I find a hundred more to check out Fire Emblem? Right? It's yeah. just there's not enough time. Can you convince Kyle Bossman to be patient and wait for Dragon Quest Eleven S? Oh, I mean, it's coming out in like a week and a half. I, I was feeling the hankering. I almost bought it on Wait. PS4 the other night. 
trust me, wait. Know, There's so much more content. And more than that, they, they got the orchestrated soundtrack, which if you play the PS4 version, it's beautiful. But those synthesizers killed it for me. And I wow. did. I only played about probably five hours on it, but yeah. it looks shockingly good on Switch, both in yeah. handheld so and... So I downloaded the demo, too. Yeah. I was like, this looks okay. Yeah. And also fast-forwarding, I think, is the that clincher. That is... Just that should be... Battles just speed it oh, up. Oh, yeah. That should be part of any game yeah. with turn-based battles. Yeah. Any Every retro RPG does it now with, like, the FF7 and 9 and I, and 8 now. And uh, I they should do that in every turn-based RPG, as far as I'm concerned. I'm including Pokemon. Including Pokemon. Oh, that'd be a great Absolutely thing. Absolutely they should. Uh, including Pokemon. Yes. And speaking of Pokemon, I want to move yeah. on to our next headline really sure. quick. Uh, a mysterious glitched Pokemon shows up on the official Pokemon website. So there is a page that people have found on the Pokemon Sword and Shield website, mm-hmm. which just has this glitched Pokemon. It's not a static image. It's got like this cool effect going over it. And it's conjuring up vibes, vibes excuse me, of Missigno. Interesting. But people are already guessing what they think it is. Some people think it's a Cubone. Some people think it's the gl- the it's Galarian now. It's not Galen. It's the Galarian version of the evolution of Farfetch'd, maybe. Mm-hmm. I've oh, seen that there. Cool. Kyle. Okay. I think Kyle, you might like that one. If it Would you like that, Kyle, if it ended up being a Farfetch'd thing? Farfetch'd is my favorite Pokemon, just yeah. for a full context here. Yeah. Uh, there's no way I'm going to like what it turns into. Okay. <laughs> there's almost Fair no way I'm going to be happy with what yeah. it evolves into. Yeah. 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 It's so funny. They left. They put a description on the page as well of this image. And yes. the, it literally just says, only... And it's not blank. There's literally a gap in the text. So you, and you try and copy it, it just doesn't copy anything. It's invisible. <laughs> Interesting. Nice. So only blank that have survived many battles can attain this blank. When this Pokemon's blank errs, so just ERS at the end of a word, it will retire from combat. So this news is there is a Pokemon Sword and Shield information dump coming Tomorrow. We're recording on Tuesday, mm-hmm. Wednesday morning. They're going to have a dump. It's very likely this will all be revealed by then. Yes. And this episode will probably be out by the time you probably have seen this. So we're going to just play a really quick game of you're going to guess what this is. Sure. And I'm, <laughs> I know what this is so much that oh. people watching won't even feel any less informed. Uh-huh. Uh, it is Surfetched, the rumored evolution of Farfetched. It will be wearing like a sort of white suit of armor. Its shield is a big leaf. Uh, its lance is a long uh, uh, leak, sort of like Farfetch'd has. It's just longer, and it is a lance. Uh, so it, this Pokemon evolves after a certain amount of battles. It is knighted. Uh, okay. Mm, got okay. it. I don't know what the other verb is that's past tense. When blank. When this Pokemon something errs, so like... Falters. Hmm. Yeah, falters. I was thinking when it falters, like, but... Oh, man. I don't know what that verb yes. is. Yeah, that, I, yeah. No, it's an it's a noun. When this Pokemon's possessive, it's when this Pokemon's Pastry oh. s something ers. So like oh. bonkers, like or uh, okay. like knickers, like H- pants, Pinterest, like maybe. yeah, like think of that. When when this Pokemon's blinkers, I don't know. They maybe they wrote this to be a specific. May, oh, there might be more to the blank part that's cut out. It yes. was really long, so it might be multiple words there. So it's like when this right, Pokemon's okay. shield shatters. Yeah, there you go, uh, Kyle. Yes. Thank you for when correcting me. When this Pokemon's me. lance yes. shatters. Thank you. Sure. Yes, yes. yes. Something like that. Yes, yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. Because it's the same way with uh, Farfetch'd. If it loses its leak, its onion leak, it's, it dies, apparently. It's its Pokedex entry, yeah. which isn't true. It's just one of those Pokedex entries that's not accurate. Yeah. But it's it that thing is definitely the Farfetch'd evolution. So if you're watching this podcast, like go and look at the Farfetch'd evolution right okay. now. It's been revealed. Wow. Okay. Do you have another theory, Ash? No, I hadn't heard about this. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, that's okay. a pretty good theory, Kyle. Sure. Yeah, uh, I, I like it. 
I would oh, yeah. love for there to be I an mean, evolution. I mean, I mean, people see what they want to see. I can see Cubone because it's also you can see a Cubone because again? it's tied to the whole missing no theory, like the crazy theory of like his mom and like the bone and like something about like there's oh, a, that's a, true. an extra evolution with uh, Kangaskhan or whatever. Yes, and it was supposed to be uh, this other evolution, and they didn't put it in the game. That became. The, this lost date entry became missing no when he actually loaded it in the game. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're gonna they're like, hey, we need everything. We're going all out on this game. It's been a while since we've had like a cool Pokemon myth. What if we go that back to be, the Yeah. That It'd would be, be really cool. Yeah. I was gonna try to be cheeky and say it's found no, but that's just not that funny. <laughs> I kept thinking about like, no, that's not as good as I thought. Fair enough. All right. That's um, the evolution of missing now. Exactly, yeah, exactly. No, but I honestly, I, I couldn't muster up a really good guess because I'm more of a casual-ish Pokemon yeah. fan. I've, I've beaten most Same. of the games, but I don't know the whole Pokedex, obviously. Same. So I, I initially was thinking something related to Rotom, like glitchy, oh. kind of radio waves type. But this sounds a little more mystical than that, a little cooler, yeah. a little more interesting. For sure. So, yeah, I don't... I, I know I want it to be the legendary fourth evolution of the Vanillux line because that's the <laughs> ice cream Pokemon and... Can't get better than that. Come oh, on. Kirby. Yes. Yeah. How want... funny would it be if the first ever fourth evolution is for Vanillux? I would love that. Would it. be so, yes. So good. Yes, please. Okay. Yes. I could. You know what? I'm. I can buy anything. I want it to be like a banana split, dude. Yo. Like a full-on banana split. So there's just a big old banana inside of a vanilla. And like it should that, be yeah. have its own arms so it can like scoop itself. <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I mean, no, they, no. Don't they, kid. they, we they that, went yes. really creepy with Alchemy's <laughs> yes, evolutions yes. and stuff. So, I mean, Alchemy in their description. Friend, yeah. yeah. Uh, the realest part of me says it could just be some exclusive version of a Pokemon, a new Pokemon for this game. It's like a technical hacking Pokemon or something. And it's just going to be nothing what we expected. I think, it, I think it's fighting type, too. I think that was part oh, of the really? stage, right? And okay. someone said, like, it was huge or something. Like, I kept seeing the size, like, the weight of it being uh-huh. mentioned. Like, That's because of the suit of armor. Okay. Like, for, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, us, well, well, you will know already. Let us know in the comments if we were right or how wrong and we were. I want were. to check that out, too. I didn't realize that it was up, out there, so i got to check that out. Oh, Sir Fetch? Yeah. The name? I had no idea. Oh, Sir there's a lot of rumors Fetch. out there. That that name is amazing. Yes. That's, I love it. Yep, yes. That's amazing. I do love it. Uh, we got one more news headline okay. uh, for our quick news segment. This involves Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. Uh, Sakurai recently awarded at the Japan Game Awards. Uh, some people sat down and interviewed with uh, him. And one of the th- subjects that came out uh, that Sakurai kind of elected to this information to the the being in it when he was being interviewed basically said when asked about these really wild requests for characters to be in Smash Brothers, Sakurai basically said, I get all these kinds of requests from abroad, meaning not from Japan, <laughs> meaning from message boards. Yeah, yeah. the internet, the yeah. internet, yeah. Yeah. the internet. Where is my beloved Iron Man or where <laughs> is my beloved Goku? However, Smash will only have content from video games in it. And we already knew that. I yes. think that he has to keep He's reconfirming this, this over and over yeah. again. Get over it. Goku's not happening. Iron Man's not happening. I'm sorry. I don't know where Iron Man came from. I don't I've even know. Never heard anyone Shrek ask for Iron is Man. not happening. I'm sorry, Internet, but it's not. The Shrek one's disappointing. I, yeah, and I'm just like... He said that so many times. You know he's got to be sick of having to say it. You know what's funny? I was holding on to Goku. I was holding on. I think up until the most recent video, up until uh, he did the one introducing Banjo-Kazooie, but also Terry was announced the same day. And he looked at the camera and he said how important it was to him to connect video game worlds. Right. 
when he said, I truly believe this is the ultimate game. I really think we'll yeah. never make a game with this many characters. It means something to me to connect all these worlds. I, like, got it. So. Right. And, you know, and, and when you think about the context of something else he said in, mm-hmm. in his um, comments to the media where he said that to, to make Smash on Switch was Iwata's last request to him. And so when you think about that and you think about the fact that he has put all this work into building the most unimaginably incredible roster of all time, it makes you want to cry almost because it's like he really... He not only took his request and, fu- and fulfilled it, but he knocked it out of the park. And he's yeah. trying; he's still trying to add more crossovers, more third-party characters. And that's just he. That's just such a sweet uh, context to think of all that in. It's right. It, I can't even meme about it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> I can't even exactly. About it makes it me yeah. feel yeah. bad about yes. all yeah. these people asking for all this stuff of Sakurai when he's just dishing all this these facts about behind-the-scenes development stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like. Maybe ease off a little bit. Look how like hard. But he also basically conf- not confirmed, but basically elaborated that this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Right. And even amongst the Smash Brothers series. Yes. Like, not only we're we probably never going to see this many characters again. These opportunities probably won't be there. He even made like a kind of cryptic remark about even the future of Smash Brothers. Like if he said, even if we were to make another right. Smash Brothers, which could just be marketing speak of, hey, we can't talk about. Future games, we're still talking about this, you but know, same he's time. About it, but though, you know, yeah. Sakurai, like I get this vibe that maybe Sakurai is this is it, especially yeah. with Awada yeah. gone. Mm-hmm. This yeah. was a thing that was created from the two of them essentially, and with that kind of ended, I feel like Sakurai would maybe want to have an interest in moving on, and working on other projects. Especially when Nintendo says, "Ah, eh, we just want to only work on Smash." He's be like, "Oh, peace out. I'm gonna go take yeah. you know back to Sora Limited, and uh, we're not part of Nintendo if that can even happen. I don't know if that's even possible, but." I could see him breaking away and trying to work oh, on yeah, other he's stuff. Independent. Yeah, he can work on whatever. Yeah, he yeah. I thought he was still independent. I forget if Nintendo. They, he's under contract right. as Sora, but he has. Got yeah, it. yeah. And it, it's it's pretty fascinating to think about because really, where do you go from Ultimate? Like, where, like not only did, must he have it on his mind, oh. but where? Like, obviously, Smash needs to continue because it's one yes. of Nintendo's most lucrative franchises. But if you cut even one of those third-party characters, let alone any of the Nintendo characters, you know, you, let's say you cut Cloud. Let's yeah. say you cut, you know, uh, Snake or Mega Man. So that one cut is going to be like, well, Ultimate's better. And mm-hmm. it's like, how? where do you go from here? Yeah. Genuinely. It's, some, it's something that I, th- I think is funny. I think you might have to shift genre. You might have to, you know, just make a uh. different kind of fighting game or, 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 or adventure game or something. You do have to shift the type of game it is almost. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're right, Kyle. And I think that's another reason I th- suspect Sakurai would want to move on because it won't be the same game anymore. Yes. It's going to have yeah. to become something else if they want to make a new one. But at the same time, they could also keep supporting this for a very long time. Like, obviously, they, they had a year plan for the Fighter Pass, and now they they're never even calling it Season 2. They're just saying more DLC fighters. Who knows how long they go? If they're smart, they will keep this up for years. Yeah. And uh, I think he dropped an unintentional hint there where he, I think he said something to the, um, we want to keep bringing you more characters and uh, crossing over more worlds or bringing more worlds into Smash, which tells me oh, yeah. they're more third-party characters. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't think, like, there's a lot of wishes, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think well, there's no chance at Waluigi. Sorry, buddy. Oh. Like, uh, when he <laughs> says, I want to connect he worlds. He will be a uh, me versus, uh, like, I, me fighter or whatever, yeah, yes. at best, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, Waluigi will never be a Smash Waluigi's character. Waluigi's never going to happen. Yeah, yes. yeah. Already, outfit is he already? He's a character you can summon. Okay, yeah. he's a he's trophy. He's an assist trophy. trophy. Yeah. Yeah. trophy. Yeah, that's he's, what I thought. My, my, my last golden goose is Sora. Once that happens, there's no one else I could possibly that's connecting a world, yeah. Yeah, and literally connecting hearts and all that. You know, there's so much marketing they could do with that. I know you, Ash. I know you really want Sora Oh, so much. I think maybe the response to what's been released so far, I think other companies have been like, oh, uh-huh. Whoa! Yeah. Like we want to get on this train, so there might have been yeah. more people who approached Nintendo and perhaps Sakurai and said, "Hey, 
could we, would you consider doing more characters Maybe if we'd give you this? Maybe people said no previously. Yeah, yeah. Right. that'd be interesting. That'd be interesting to see. But yeah, just uh, the wild stuff, like non-gaming stuff. Just like <laughs> we're, we're only half memeing here at Easy Allies when we say Goku. And I want to clear something up sure. because it upsets me sometimes when I see the comments misunderstand which Goku I'm asking for. <laughs> I'm asking for OG Goku, uh-huh. OG Dragon Ball, like Kid Goku. No, 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 no. Oh, yes. okay, Super, okay. Super Goku. It, yeah, no. no, no, not Dragon Ball. It, it wouldn't make sense. It'd be I want too the crazy. strongest Goku. No, I want Kid Goku. It, he, Kid Goku would fit in just fine. It would work. So, uh, sorry, I'm thinking I'm with you on this. I'd want adult Goku. I don't I want, want. I want Goku at the I mean, height of his yeah. abilities. <laughs> That's what you really want. But yes. the realistic choice yes, would be sure. Kid Goku. But either way, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to. Oh, I yeah. don't want to ruin Sakura's I don't want to bring yeah. it up anymore because I mean, it's an insult to, yes. to Sakura. And we got so close with Hiro. I mean, Akira Toriyama, like, we're so close. Just yes. pretend, oh, especially yeah. the second, I don't know which one he is. I think he's a Dragon Quest Three hero. But the second, oh, like, after you press right once. Yeah. He looks so close, it's kind of. Same very eyes. close. Yeah. Same eyes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very same. Just pretend. Woo. So super Smash Bros. New stuff. Good stuff. Let us know how you think about just going through those really quick. I don't know. If that wasn't quick enough, let me know. I'll speed it up next time. But we're here to talk about a game that holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts. It is getting a updated version coming out on Switch later this week. It might be out by the time you are listening to this. That would be The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening. This is a game that was released worldwide in 1993 for the Game Boy and uh, this game is pretty revered. Oh, yeah. A lot of people think it's good. And you know what? I'm going to start there. Kyle. Yeah. Is this your favorite Legend of Zelda game? No, it's not. Okay. I'm afraid Breath of the Wild has superseded it. Okay. But, uh, it was, dude, up there. Up there okay. with Ocarina. Just up there near the top. Why? Why is this yeah, one why, of my why? favorites? Oh, man. It's just such a little adventure. It is... A beginning. It's a story that has a beginning and end. It is, uh, man. I just love a trading quest. I love that each of these NPCs has their own vibe, has their own personality, and has some way to interact with them throughout of it. Well, you don't interact with each NPC exactly, but yeah. Uh, I love um, the layout of this island, and I just I love it for its simplicity. Basically, I, I think that it just has nothing it doesn't need, um, and so it's just. Man, it's like it's like a mastery of the platform. To me, it is a Game Boy game. Yes. Oh yeah. That's a great point. Uh, I I think what I love about it is that it's it was almost we didn't know it at the time, but looking back, I think it was almost the proto Majora's Mask. Yeah. In that it had that weird Twin point. Peaks-ish vibe where this is Zelda, but not quite as you know it. There's something slightly left to center, something slightly askew. You're seeing some familiar characters, but in weird contexts, right? Mm-hmm. And that Link's Awakening did that before Majora's Mask did. I'm so and, happy you brought that up. Majora's, <laughs> Majora's Mask is usually the game that gets right. brought up when you're talking about which Zelda had like a weird development or has like like the Twin Peaks reference. It does have an influence in future games, but Majora's Mask is the one that always gets pointed out there. So right. I'm I always happy when people say, no, Link's Awakening came first and did all this stuff. Absolutely. And I will say it is tied for my favorite 2D Zelda game. Ooh, uh, so it's, with... a, it's up there, uh, 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 Link to the Past. Oh, of Link course. to the Past. I mean, one yeah, of the greats. Top 10. It's top 10. A Link to the Past. Top, is just, top 10 Zelda games. Like, uh, you <laughs> asked me on three different days, and I'll give you a different answer in terms of like one day it's Link's Awakening, the other it's a Link to the Past. It's just they're both so... So amazing. Fully understand that. That uh, I think that's how it is for a lot of people. That your l- favorite or best Zelda list is kind of constantly evolving, right. based on sometimes even hourly 
Yeah, basis. I mean, really, yeah. just because they're all, I mean, there's so many different facets to think about at any given moment. I and have a new favorite already. Oh, you do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course. So, no, but th- this game is just so uh, special. Like crossbow training? Yeah. It's oh, not that. God. Oh, let's talk about that. No. Wand of Gamelon. Um, yes. This game is just so special to me. I must have been, what, uh, about 10 when it came out-ish? Okay. 9, 10. Um, and I just remember it utterly captivating me. Like, I was just glued to my Game Boy. I was just pulled into this setting. It, like, as you said, it is a Game Boy-ass Game Boy game. Mm-hmm. It is just, it is pure Game Boy, and the, and the way it could pull you into that little brick and just make you completely consumed in this little island and its inhabitants. I mean, so much personality came across in those, you know, tiny pixelated, you know, characters from Marin and Terran to all the little NPCs on the trading quest. They're so memorable. Yeah. The animal village. Like, that mm-hmm. stuff is just... Yeah. You don't see that stuff in Zelda any, anymore, typically. I don't think you see it done this way done anymore. Way, but, yeah. like, you see the essence, the soul of this game right. did leave its imprint, or makes its imprint, on newer releases of the series. Yeah. And a lot of the staple stuff that you don't maybe not think about are actually kind of originated in this game as well. Um, Cal, you mentioned it, I believe, the the trading sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it was, I believe it was based on like some kind of like a, a straw hat or straw, a, a straw trading thing, like er, like urban legend or something in Japan, oh. where people would trade straw up to get like better things yes. and eventually come out with something really good, starting with something so like humble and uh, like cheap, essentially. I didn't know that. And that trading sequence, imagine what you start with, you win the Yoshi doll prize from a vending machine and you trade up and you get like the magnifying glass and eventually you can get like the boomerang if you were, you can finish that trading sequence by trading your B item one of your items in your B slot for the boomerang, which is like the most powerful thing in the game as well. So you get a magnifying glass, which can like reveal the dark secrets of Koholent, as well as the only way to see the NPC in a cave who will trade you for the boomerang, the most powerful thing in the game. And I think you can press A and B with the bomb with the boomerang too. I think you can send the boom, yeah, the bomb, bomb out yeah, with yeah. the boomerang. Just like, like bomb it arrows. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really cool, man. And uh, I think this game, despite like, it's a game where I like to praise A Link to the Past a lot for being the first Zelda game to push a in-game developed narrative. Sure. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a little bit more simplistic. A handful of NPCs at certain points will advance the narrative, whereas in this game, it's con- everything's constantly evolving. Yeah. And one of the things I think you love, Kyle, is like NPCs have proper names in this game. Like all of them, almost all of them have mm-hmm. proper names. Mm-hmm. They all kind of have a little bit more fleshed out backstories and they talk with you. And over the course of the game, even the like most minuscule, those two kids throwing balls and stuff, like they're just innocent playing balls and then like after you finish the first level you come out they rush up to you all panicked and yeah. stuff it's like these characters move around and do different stuff and it gave the world kind of a, a feeling of being alive mm-hmm. I remember really growing to care about these characters in a way that I hadn't in, in a previous Zelda game even A Link to the Past I really cared about these these island denizens and I uh, I, I think one thing I also love about it is that it's also and I'm not going to course spoil anything but it has this vibe much like Majora's Mask again of melancholy mm-hmm. that that Zelda often doesn't well I don't say it often does it but it it doesn't capture it in quite the same way like Twilight Princess in probably not the most popular opinion but I like to say it was like hot topic melancholy it was kind of <laughs> like it was dark but I mean oh. it was it was dark but kind of in a yeah. superficial way other than perfect. Midna no that is perfect oh yeah. I, I thought I had offended you no. I was like I'm sorry you nailed it yeah so it's, it's hot like hot topic melancholy yeah yes. it's, it's dark in a superficial way when <laughs> Waker is dark in a really, really dark kind of getting under your skin way. But this is just kind of 
a kind of a there's a, just a sense of melancholy that runs throughout Link's Awakening. And I, of course, will, would not spoil the ending or anything, but if you've not played this game, you are in, like, try to avoid spoilers because it may be a simple story, but the way it ends up, and especially when you go back to the game with the, hind- the benefit of hindsight, knowing what happens in the story, everything suddenly clicks in a way where you're like, oh, wow, everything I've been seeing so far, this all makes sense, really, in a weird kind of way when you think about it in the context of how it all turns out. So yeah. just, yeah, try to avoid spoilers, even if it is a simple story. It's sure. so powerful. And I don't think it's spoiling to say, like, you're not on the Triforce quest. Right. You know, and that's what I kind of like about this. Yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is, the story is scaled to the scale of the game, which is to the scale of the platform, which is why I always just call it just a perfect Game Boy game. Uh, because you're on the small island, you're not trying to defeat Ganon and collect all the pieces of the Triforce to, you know, save the entire planet and everything. You are just telling the story of of this island and your trip here, you know, you're you're washed ashore. Uh, how do you get off the island? That's the whole game, and so right. I just love that. I love a simple goal uh, like that. Um, That's something else that Majora's Mask gets credit for that Link's yes. Awakening did first. Yes, yeah. yeah, it's it's very interesting because I think of all the games in the series that aren't that aren't spinoffs, these Link's Awakening and obviously Majora's Mask after it. I think the most unique Zelda games in that they they diverge from a lot of established like story elements and try and give you a more of what if Link were in a different situation with but but still having Zelda tropes in mm-hmm. it so it still feels like a Zelda game but it's moving away from Hyrule the Triforce like that stuff and this is the first Princess game to do Zelda. so this right. yeah so this yeah. is the first game to do that and this was something they wanted to do um, some development behind the scenes stuff so I I want to say I think one of the reasons this game feels a little bit has a more of a personal touch than maybe some of the other Zelda games is how this game even came about. So Nintendo always knew that they wanted to have a follow-up to Link to Pass. It was a huge hit and stuff. And the this game, it's always funny. I mean, it's common knowledge if you go look it up, but I just love hearing the story each time. How basically one of Nintendo's programmers, always uh, uh, Kazuaki Mor- uh, Morita, um, programmer for like the original Mario game, one of the programmers for the original Mario games, original uh, Zelda games, also Super Mario World and Link's Pass right before this, basically went and found a Game Boy development kit at Nintendo and without being sanctioned, essentially started messing around with it hmm. and started doing his own personal project. And then some of his other colleagues heard about it and they started joining him like after work basically and it became kind of like this after school club thing is how it's referred to now where they were just like messing around and stuff. And at the same time, Takashi Tezuka, director, co-creator, uh, co-director, co-creator of the Legend of Zelda series, essentially was tasked with you got to make another Zelda game. Link to Pass was really good and he saw what they were working on and they were already like Zelda team members said – because originally the idea was to port a Link to the Past to Game Boy. A Link to the Past. I think I remember yeah, hearing that. That was going to be that yeah. was the baseline for it. Okay. But then he saw what crazy stuff they were doing, and he decided let's make an original Zelda game instead. Let's make this game called, which will become called Link's Awakening, and that's sort of the same thing behind Majora's Mask, where AJ Anuma comes in. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna be the new director of Zelda, and we're gonna give you two years. I don't care how you do it. In two years, you're going to make a new Zelda game. So this game was also made in a year and a half. So these kind of like short dev times, like letting them do crazy ideas, kind of produce these really special feeling Zelda games. It's kind of, when you think about Zelda, you usually think about long development times. But at the same time, you know, obviously these were made with like a landmark title having been made first. And so they had work to build on. So it didn't take as long, especially Majora's Mask reused assets. But still... They never discount like a Zelda sequel because it looks like it's using the same stuff because 
Obviously. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and we're, we're going to see that uh, either end of next year or probably early 2021 with Breath of the Wild. Yeah. And I don't think people are... There That's will be was, people out there who complain, but I think most people probably will. That's what I'm getting at. It's yeah. like Breath of the Wild being set in the same environment. Like, remember your history here. <laughs> it's yeah. done well a few times. Yes, um, it's yes. done very well. You know, that, that, that story, I think... In general, Zelda or, or outside of Zelda, I think those kinds of, f- you know, from the ground up kind of grassroots development stories, those are there. There's so much passion there, natural because they're they're making something they really want to make. And you heard it's remarkably similar to Mega Man 2's development story, where Mega Man One didn't do well, and Capcom was just be like, eh, you know, we're just not do it. But Inafune and his team really wanted to make it happen. And so they made Mega Man 2, and the rest is history. Yeah. So, you know, I think when you, Zelda or not, when you have that kind of team who really have to just, you know, go for it and, and not necessarily get official company help, but make something they want to stay after hours and make on their own, the passion comes through. And that is so evident both in Mega Man 2 and Link's Awakening. There's yes. so much passion in this game. I'm curious what you think about because of this unusual collaboration of how the uh, the circumstances behind this game's development, we got some unusual things in this mm-hmm. game. We talked about some of them, but like one of them we got was a lot of weird cameos from other game series, notably Mario and Kirby. Yeah, unauthorized uses that just were in there, and they <laughs> right. just kind of like that. Uh, yeah, like. I'm, how did you like encountering those for the first time? Like seeing a Goomba, seeing a Piranha Plant, and if you saw like the angry Kirby in uh, one of the levels, like did you like that originally, or do you, were you weirded out by it's that? It's so funny. So this was my first ever Zelda game. Okay. Wow. And so when I saw a chain chomp in there named Bow Wow, I thought they were just called Bow Wows. Okay. <laughs> like, okay. I, you know, they, like they do just share a lot of things. You know what I mean? Like they share music sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Zelda and Mario, and so I. I the Goombas I recognized, and I'm like, oh, they just must be in Zelda as well. You know <laughs> what I mean? so good. Yes. And so, like, it. <laughs> it wasn't quite like that for me. It wasn't quite like okay. I recognizing them as cameos. Like, Yoshi's like, oh, so Yoshi's here. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it was very strange, but in a way that a lot of the things, a lot of the Zelda conventions, I was kind of rolling with because okay. I assumed this is what happens in regular Zelda games. Sure. And I think, you know, no, realizing that, that that doesn't happen in other Zelda games, that you see these kind of weird, cheeky crossovers that feel like, that's weird, that shouldn't be here in a Zelda game, but you don't mind because it's it's such a deeply weird special Zelda game that's already gone off the rails in other ways. In other, so, you know, just seeing a Goomba or a Piranha Plant is like, oh, you kind of accept it because this already feels like an off-kilter Zelda game. And it's not even just Mario and Zelda. We got yeah. Richard from For Whom the, the the Frog For Whom the Bell Tolls, oh, yeah. which is a crazy, mm-hmm. like, you know, of course, as a kid, I didn't know that. I never heard of that game. Yep. But knowing as you get older and learning about how there's this whole other little story segment where you get the golden leaves and everything, that is a whole reference to this other Japan-only game that you would never know. And that's so cool to see in a Zelda game. And I just, I love it. And that like could technically be canon because didn't he sail away at the end of his game and no. he could have ended up on a he does yeah. interesting I yeah. love yeah. maybe See he could have ended up on this island makes it even better it's yeah. just uh, Link's Awakening is just so special in so many ways and uh, I just I adore it oh, yeah I, I I mean jumping on a Goomba in this game because obviously I knew that these were Mario enemies yeah. for some reason it seemed okay as a kid mm-hmm. I was like oh. It's Nintendo stuff. I guess it's fine. But at the same time, I was like, <laughs> like he's jumping on a Goomba. It's kind of like, because the, the side-scrolling parts, because one thing we didn't, I don't think we mentioned yet or put enough emphasis on, first Zelda game where you can, man, uh, sorry, not the first Zelda game. Sorry, another Zelda game where you could manually jump. Something not 
usually traditionally in a Zelda game. Using the Rock's Feather, you could just jump around and stuff. But like in the side-scrolling parts, it became like a side-scrolling platform all of a sudden. You're like, yeah. like Zelda Two Days. Like, oh, whoa, this has been, a, you know, this is interesting. I mean, this is only the fourth Zelda game. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, there isn't really a strong precedent, which is kind of fun to think about. Right. And, and, and yeah. yeah, like in Zelda Two, it was mainly like nothing special. It was like side-scrolling action, and you expected to be able to jump. Yes. There weren't a lot of yeah. intense platforming parts, mm-hmm. but the the segments where you jump, it comes into play with like it's there, there's a lot more jumping puzzles involved. There's a lot more to the mechanic. I think it's one of the most involved uses of jumping in and a Zelda game. It uses the, the same sprite as well, even yeah. though it's right. from the side as right. it was in the top. It's kind of interesting. It's yeah. the same sprite of him. I think it stands out more in Link's Awakening because Zelda Two starts off as a side-scrolling platformer mm. action game like you know from the start if you played games before oh it's a side-scrolling action game i can jump link feels like it should be he should be able to jump in that game because it's yeah that genre you know link's awakening starts off as a top-down zelda where you're like oh, okay well link to the past taught me there's no jumping in this and yeah and there you know there, but then you go to the first dungeon and i think that's key yeah they set the tone right away by letting you get the thing that lets you jump at the very beginning of the game they that don't, that's not a halfway I through. I was shocked that they yeah. gave you the Rock's Feather deck soon because that changes, the, like, the rest of the game was developed around considering you had that. Yeah. Right. Like, like gaps, because you see, they kind of show you on the way, like, what are these gaps? Am I meant to cross over these? Yeah. Oh, there might be a, like, like oh, hook shot, maybe a link to the past or something, yeah. which there is something like that in this game, but right. the jumping just comes unexpectedly for a top, that's a great point, Ash, like top-down Zelda. Right. You weren't expecting that. Right. And and those sequences were so fun. Yeah. And I like how they also, if I remember correctly, they, they worked in little tricks where, like, if you're low on life if you jump on a goomba you'll always get a heart yep. but if you use your sword you'll get a rupee yeah. and i just love little touches like that it was so I cool did not know yeah, that. That's yeah. Interesting. i don't it's... know if they brought that back yet for the remake i think i tried to I... test it but i forgot uh, yeah i would assume yes probably probably yeah. didn't change that that seems like a weird thing to change yeah. but yeah um just uh, elaborating more on like item stuff i guess like the, the real more important part like that this game did that hadn't been done in the previous game is switching out your items both your a and b item meaning your sword you could have two different items and not your sword being used at once. Obviously, the Switch version is working around that so that you can they, 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 you don't have to switch items like that anymore on that on that level. Like they they map stuff a little bit better. But in the original version, you could use like the you could run and jump like the Pegasus shoes and the Rock's feather, or you could have your traditional sword and shield, or you could put like bomb and arrow, bomb and arrow, and you yeah. go boom, or yeah. just boomerang and Pegasus. Like they're all different kinds of combos, and it was kind of fun to experiment. Like yeah. You said the bomb arrows came out of that because yeah. of like fun experimentation. Yeah, no, like it really engendered a lot of creativity, and it just yeah, again, you said it experimentation because you could never mix and match Zelda equipment like this before, and it, it was just a game that felt like it was just it was ripe to be just poked and just prodded and how can I get here and maybe I can you know just just barely make that jump I feel like I shouldn't be able to make by just running at the right it's just it's so good yeah it's uh one thing we haven't mentioned yet I have to call out phenomenal soundtrack yes the the ballad of the Glenfish is still one of my favorite Zelda songs of all time and uh, what I've heard of the remake soundtrack is fantastic uh and it's it even seems to incorporate the chiptune elements of the original in some songs so but that's that soundtrack is just when I think of the Game Boy, I think of that rendition of the overworld theme for Zelda. Yeah, it's just and I don't yeah. know the town's theme, but I love that too. The doot doot. Oh, the main village. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, so so good. So good. Yes, I haven't heard it yet. I'm very very interested to hear. 
uh, a Mambo song, The Frog. Yes. A, the wart, basically. Because yeah. Yeah. it's really bad <laughs> yeah. in yeah. the intentionally bad in yeah. the original. And I want to say they left it as originally, you know, as bad as it sounded then. Or if they actually made it sound pleasant this time. Sure. I think that ruins the joke. I think that was supposed to be the point. But yeah, that soundtrack was really great. And another yeah. thing is, while I think he was just a supervisor, um, Koji Kondo wasn't the main composer for right. this game. So another sign of like maybe other people can be involved in the Zelda series and they have new creative ideas that they bring to the table and we've seen that time and time and again yeah we saw it recently with Breath of the Wild exactly yeah and uh this game um I I do love the soundtrack of this game but the thing I think I love the most about this game is its story I think it has one of the best stories in a Zelda game and it is a game that in terms of Zelda the Zelda series, there are two very important people who were involved in this game's narrative. There is Kensuke Tanabe, who was brought in and conceived the whole concept of, like, Koholant Island and the egg. He was obsessed with putting a mountain, an egg atop a mountain. And those to figure out where it goes from there. Yes, yeah. and, and, then, like, it needed, yeah. and then, like, something needed to happen with it. Yes. And, in fact, it revealed that that was supposed to – originally, that egg on a mountain thing was supposed to be planned for A Link to the Past – and just didn't make it into it. So they were like, I'm not giving up on this dream of That's having an egg on a mountain. <laughs> so good. That. I feel that. But uh, for, for, for this tag team duo, the other part of it was Yoshiaki Koizumi, who most of you should know as a household name by now, Nintendo. You've seen him in Nintendo Directs recently, heavily involved with the Switch, uh, over uh, the Mario uh, Odyssey, and then before that, the Galaxy team. But before all that, he was a key member of the Zelda team. And he re- basically came up with the actual like story mm-hmm. the plot of the game like what was the purpose of this and it was a and obviously I don't want to spoil it but like that was the like his thing but at the same time like they also like you were mentioning Twin Peaks earlier Ta- the director of this game Takashi Tezuka wanted really what did he say he wanted uh, characters to have a suspicious vibe about them and they do and they he do. goes and he said specifically direction needs to be similar to the American TV show Twin Peaks <laughs> and uh, they, they had this obsession for it and uh, Tanabe was like charged with you gotta make these really quirky characters and you gotta write all the dialogue for them mm-hmm. and basically one person job for that whereas now you think of like huge development teams like Lots of writers and stuff, and like different character designers coming in and doing that. That sometimes, like these smaller, as you said, Kyle, like the smaller, more crafted experience for like a Game Boy, it, it was only possible, I think, because of its small scale. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that like we said before, the every single NPC you meet in that game is is remar- like stands out in some way, which isn't always true. I mean, Zelda has a pretty strong history with NPCs in general. Oh, yes, yeah. but I would say Link's Awakening they stand out even more. And uh, the story, as you mentioned, we, you know, we, yeah, we can't spoil anything, but it is, it, it does stand out in the Zelda series because it doesn't deal with Zelda and Ganondorf and the Triforce. And I mean, even right at the very beginning, it sets the tone where Link wakes up and Marin's like, Zelda? I don't know who that is. Like, yeah. My name's Zeri. <laughs> it sets it right, right up away. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it feels like for once, despite the game we calling up, like it is called The Legend of Zelda, but like the main character's historically always been Link. The story is not always about necessarily Link. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like other games, other characters take like kind of like the spotlight, and Link is just you, the the player avatar essentially, who is taking you through that journey. Whereas this, it felt like Link was involved in these decisions. Like Link was involved in this story more heavily, and mm-hmm. that it was a personal journey for him, and it personally affects him what he does throughout this game. And I kind of like that vibe. It was different than I felt any previous Zelda, and it's something that. 
other Zeldas have done to very de- various degrees of success, essentially. I know, I like this is I know a, de- a divisive point because some people really like their silent protagonists so they can mm. insert themselves. I'm not a fan of that. I always like it when a character, including Link, has their own motivations, and I can kind of see them grow as they go through the through the, the adventure. And we see that in Link's Awakening, as you saw. And it's another reason why I love games like Majora's Mask and especially The Wind Waker because those are other Links where this this is a kid. He has a sister. This is affecting him. Like you see. Things yeah. happen to Link, and, and you want to cheer him on. I never got into the whole you are the hero type thing. I want to see, and that's what I like about Link's Awakening as well, and there's one scene about halfway through the game, which I know you know and I'm talking about, and I won't spoil it, but you don't, like, that was on a Game Boy. Like, mm-hmm. and you got that such a sweet, such a, a, a memorable, heartfelt scene on a Game Boy. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, they did a lot of scenes uh, that weren't necessarily, like, I mean, they were all in-game rendered, but they did, like, different perspectives. So, like, like yeah. pseudo-cutscenes, almost, essentially. Um, and I, I kind of like that. Like, they, they made it feel like a more narrative-driven experience. It, it, like, more so than anything had been previously seen in a game. And I, I keep harping on narrative, or keep praising the narrative of Link's Awakening, because AJ Anuma cites this game uh, as the, in his opinion, this is the first Zelda game with a proper, uh, what do you say? Uh, sorry, uh, first Zelda game with a proper plot. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, more so than a link to the past, and, and or any of the previous games. And that, like yeah. this game for, Ag Anuma cites this as a landmark game, though. Sure. Like a lot of people sure. like to cite Ocarina of Time, the original Zelda. Sometimes even a link to the past. But this one statement, I think, speaks volumes of how important this game was to like the trajectory of the rest of the Zelda series essentially uh, sorry um, basically AJ Amuma said that uh, without if this game didn't come out at the point that it did right after a link to the past but before Ocarina of Time he guarantees Ocarina of Time would have been a much different game. It would not have been the same game. Because a lot of the things they did in this game inspired them to be more ambitious in Ocarina of Time. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. That is, for, that is sure. really cool. And uh, I want to talk more about the game real quick, but I just want to throw in one last tidbit because I want to get your reaction from this. Okay, here uh, we from go. both of you. So Shigeru Miyamoto had no creative input in this game, but he served as a playtester. Oh. <laughs> and his input from the perspective of a playtester was influential in the later parts of development of the game. So I'm kind of curious, like, how you thought, like, the, the, the one of the co-creators and usually cited as, like, you know, the most important figure in the Zelda series stepped back and had no creative influence, yeah. more technical as expertise I mean, it's funny, one. right? So Game Boy has, what, it's got a Kid Icarus sequel, it has a Metroid sequel, right? I don't know the timeline of each of these, but mm-hmm. it sounds like, hey, go nuts, just make your little Game Boy game, not, no big whoop. It's so surprising to me, he played it as, as a tester. He was, like, interested enough to, like, play through that game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can only imagine his input at that level being incredibly valuable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably a lot of people taking notes saying, like, oh, change this, change that. Yeah. I, it's funny. Whatever, Whichever Game Explained fans are watching are probably chuckling because they know what I'm about to say. Okay. And that is that I'm not surprised at all that Miyamoto didn't have any creative development, <laughs> creative influence in this game. Because of the type of game it is? Exactly. Well, yes. and, and because it has a proper story that I love and, and feeling and uh, character gosh, that I yes. love. I that, and this is, is emblematic <laughs> of the changes he made to Galaxy 2 compared to Galaxy 1. Yeah. Same exact thing. And I've been pretty vocal it's about how so weird it is. Point, he's Ash. like, and I'm so glad, because I'm sure as he was testing and playing through, he's like, this has a story. This is terrible. You know, scrap it and remove the story. And I'm just like... It's like too late, bud. I mean, yeah. he, he, has, he has a reputation 
reputation for this cow. Like, he does. There, there's a ton of stories about Ocarina of Time how uh, Koizumi and uh, other people have to sneak story elements past him through NPC dialogue, like crucial story elements that develop the world of Hyrule and its backstory yeah. because Miyamoto didn't want them front and center in the main quest. And that's, yeah. which is weird because the, unless I'm misremembering, Miyamoto was huge on Star Fox 64, and it's like being like a movie and stuff. Which and is so weird. But I guess yeah. like maybe he viewed that that was the point of that game. It was supposed to be like like that was one of its creative components. I don't know. It's weird to go back and read that interview in the Star Fox 64 Player's Guide from Nintendo Power where it says Miyamoto like loved this being like a movie, like how it was influenced, and then turning around in every other game he works on, no story, like minimal yeah. story. It's about the gameplay, but... When it comes to gameplay, I'm not going to oh, question that. But yeah. at the, at the no same doubt. time, story can elevate any game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are some clearly creative people and great writer uh, writing minds at Nintendo, and we've seen over the years in other, many series that it, it does help. It is beneficial. And yes. I think in that element, I would I would get in that argument on the side that I don't always agree with the his, the history of Miyamoto in terms of pushing back on narrative, especially in Zelda games. I think it has right. at points deprived Zelda of a little bit of its magic in terms of people care about the world and the lore of that series. No, I, I completely agree. And, and yeah, I want to make very clear, I obviously have a tremendous amount of respect for Miyamoto and everything he's done and in how much of a genius he still is, especially from a game design standpoint. But I have, as I've gotten older, realized, man, I pretty much hate all of his decisions from a from an artistic <laughs> or storytelling right. or or environment yeah. atmosphere perspective. Because again, he stripped out everything about Mario Galaxy that, in my opinion, made it special, other than the incredible gameplay. You know, it was a Mario game that made me cry. When does that happen? Like, you never expect that from a Mario about game. The Luma storybook. Stuff? Yeah, yeah, okay. the, the Rosalina, yes, and it's yes. like this is ridiculously sad, and and that was the stuff that Miyamoto wanted stripped out of it. Same thing with like Paper Mario Sticker Star. It was his uh, edict that was like, no, this has to be all, every NPC has to be a toad, and it has to take place in the Mushroom Kingdom. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be one of those. Let's try the Bean Bean Kingdom or something, some other new wacky the Pilo Island people, you know, whatever. Yeah, and he just really plays it too safe uh, for for that. The, that kind of elements of a game for me, but from a gameplay game design standpoint, he's still obviously you know a, a master. Right. So it's valuable to bring him in at the very end. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's a yes. good idea. Just like, okay, exactly. It's, look, dialogue's nailed in. We can't touch it. But yeah. if you want to tell us about anything else, like I love that idea. I did not know he tested on that. It's funny. Yeah. This Link's Awakening. I, I really love this game for just like it, the game part of it as well. Oh, uh, sure. The dungeons. Oh, yeah. I, I love the dungeon. This game. It has yeah. some really cool themed dungeons. Um, like they have proper titles. When you like, uh, at least in the Game Boy Color version, at the very least. I forget if the original Game Boy version puts them in there. I'm blanking. They do. I thought they did in both versions, but yeah. they have like titles, proper mm-hmm. titles. And it's like, oh, that's nice. It's like a location. It gives a little bit of more personality besides just giving it its own name. I mean, some dungeons in A Link to Pass are referenced by other characters, sure. but like having that like formal presentation and stuff was kind of like a nice touch to it. But also the bosses. They um, talk to you. They talk yeah. to you. They have dialogue. Oh, they got support. And, yeah. yeah. And like the genie one, like taunting you, like, hey, hey, you can't break my bottle. Obviously, like, I love that. I uh, believe the color version added some more lines to help with the hints. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But at the same time, like, yeah, the conversations, because like, as you progress through them, they start having, they get a less, little less comical and a little bit more dire. Yes. About what we don't want to talk about because it's a spoiler, but they basically start alluding to something and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. First time you hear, like, wait a second. <laughs> and then later it's like, uh, and it, it gave me this feeling of like dread in terms of 
I still want to be this game because I love it, but at the same time, it's like I don't know if I want. What, do I want to keep going forward? You know, right. first game I can remember where I felt hesitant about progressing because yeah. I was being told things, and I'm like, wait a second, are, are they messing with me or like are the bad guys are just lying to me and stuff? Right? You know, bad yeah. guys like you know. It was intense, I think. Yeah, it was. I like it. I like, uh, I don't know, it's just like Twin Rova Sisters, right? I like Mm -hmm. a boss that's like somebody who speaks and thinks and has a reason to fight me. Same Uh, here. You know, it can't always be a beast that's just protecting a thing that just waits in a room and sleeps until you walk in, you know? And so I, I, I like the bosses in this game a lot. Really good. Um, I mean, I love the. Uh, we talked about all the different items, but I love their implementation in the dungeon because they feel so good when they get them. Yeah. Like uh, the hook shot. When you finally get that, because oh, you man. see all those gaps, you like the like you see the chest on the other side, and even when you're running and dashing, you can't quite make it there, and you're just like, "Where's this item?" Or like the the finally getting the uh, the flippers, the swim in water. You're like, "Thank you!" Yes. Like, it feels and it's so rewarding because it opens up so many parts of the game. Like, you saw a mermaid over there this whole time. I love like, it. Oh, yeah. I'm never gonna get to that mermaid because it was. I think by its nature of being like a, a kind of smaller scale game, they were able to more carefully plan out, even more so I would say than a link to the past, how each screen connects to the other screen mm-hmm. in terms of progression, but also like puzzles, but right. and also just informing the player of what you can and can't do and what you will maybe be able to do further on. Like there's so many teases at different points in the game on certain screens, like, wait, why is that there? Wait, I, it felt like an overwhelming amount of like teases and information i loved it because it was like oh man i'm gonna see all this at some point it's great like it, it's, yeah you know rather than like a nice looking screen and link to the past like i'll give this a link to the past is a very to me is a nice looking game but there'll just be a screen like this is the forest like the sure. next the right to the west of hyrule castle just some random forest there yeah. it's like what's really its point you know mm-hmm. is it really teaching you anything no it's just a nice place to walk through whereas in every almost every screen in link's awakening there's either a secret or there's something eventually that will inform you like how do I tackle this? Yeah. You know? yeah. By the way, I love uh, secret seashells. I think oh, yes. uh-huh. one of the most valuable Zelda collectibles. Yeah. Uh, most fun to collect uh, because they power up your sword. You know? Yeah. You just get this. You get a directly like nice reward for it. You're aware of what will happen. You, your sword will level up the more of these you collect. It's a stupid meter that you get. Well, it only levels up once. Right. You get the mm-hmm. level two sword if you get all of them. Yeah. But it's something you see you're working towards. Yes. And it is it, like it heavily incentivizes you because whoa, like there's nothing else in this game in the original version at least don't make you more powerful other than a temporary item yeah. that boosts right. your defense or offense. But get hit too much, wears off. Leave the area. It. Mm-hmm wears off so but traditionally it's just pieces of heart yeah and i think yeah. those, they, and those are still there the more you get of pieces of the heart the less valuable they become which oh, is absolutely. kind of a weird part of the, yeah. the collectible right yeah and so with the more secret seashells you get the closer you get to your sword that you know each of them is valuable and so i i, I really like them and they're hidden in really good places too they mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. uses of different items and stuff to get them going out and ex- like once you get like an item now you can swim oh there was this like spot over there i couldn't reach before uh, later on, when you get a certain animal who like gives you a, bil- a temporary special ability, there was this giant thing you couldn't get to, and like all of a sudden you get to it, it's like, oh, whoa! Like you yeah. saw that sword in the game. Um, the one thing I do hope they fix in the uh, Switch version, Here I don't know yet, What's going on? is uh, in that seashell mansion. Uh, when you go there, if you go there specifically with five or ten seashells. It will hit – there's three markers, 5, 10, and 20. 20 gives you the sword. But if you hit the 5 or 10 marker, it drops a bonus gift, and it's an extra seashell, which makes it easier to get to 20. If you go in there with any amount over 5 or 10, it won't count it, and it's irreversible. Oh. So if you go in with 6, 
eh, eh, you get that error noise, and it's like too bad you don't get that prize. It's like they don't really tell you. They never you told you yeah. you needed a specific. Mm-hmm. So until you fail that first time, or if you're just lucky, the game doesn't do a good job of that. So I'm hoping they either just outright tell you, or just say, "Hey, if you cross over five, good. Here's your first one." Do you think right. it's gonna be another blank room with a big meter? It was so weird, like this voice of God talking. <laughs> yes. yeah. Hey, there's some seashells. I know. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I hope it's. I haven't seen it yet, so yeah. I hope they. They dressed it up a little bit more. Sure. I kind of wouldn't mind seeing them take those little seashell bonus presents away just because, if I remember correctly, you didn't even have to get all of them. No, you don't. It was a pretty don't. low, a pretty permiss- uh, permissive threshold in they, terms of getting the yeah. powered-up sword, and I wish they made that a little harder. Well, it, it to get all like enough seashells, it's not exactly easy. True. There, there are True. there are, even if you ignore those, there's a, there's extra ones you can get to even hit more than twenty if you want. But I heard in the Switch version they added a lot more in oh, general. Okay. Oh. But you still need the same amount. So I think they wanted. Mm-hmm. I think they might have gotten some feedback. It might have been a little too tough. Too hard, yeah. Um, but at the same time, like I hope they didn't go overboard because it is such a great reward. Right. Yeah. When you get it. Right. Because like that was one thing I, I have been noticing about the remake ever since playing it at E3, like that demo that everyone's played. Like the boss goes down really easy. It feels a little easier than the original, and maybe that's just because I'm older and I'm wiser and I'm more experienced. But I don't remember the original feeling quite so uh, easy to overcome. There, yeah, there are definitely moments in the game where if you just get a little careless, it will punish you. Yes, like if, if you know what you're, if you're prepared and being careful, it isn't too that that difficult of a game. It's not like a cakewalk. It's on like the say towards the middle to between the hardest and, and middle. It's like somewhere in the middle, leaning towards more towards the middle. I would think sure. so. Like meet like medium well. It's not as two is the hardest. What Zelda two is the hardest. Uh, Zelda two is still the be. hardest. I see, yeah. yeah, and it's so not as hard as Link to the Past. Like Link to the Past is oh, like yeah. a super hard game, but there are certain things where. Like, if you touch, I think it's Vitreous, the sixth boss. Oh, yeah, it does, like... It's, like, six hearts of damage or something. It's crazy. There's, like, one enemy in this... There are a few enemies in this game that do a lot of damage. There's also, like... Kyle, you're going to love this. There's an enemy in this game, a flying... I guess it's a flying angry mushroom. It tosses bombs at you. Oh. Mm -hmm. And they're really annoying to kill. When I was playing it recently, the original version, Kyle... And I was streaming it. Mm-hmm. I told Chet, like, why is there this stupid monster with like a butthole <laughs> shooting out? Because I didn't see the sprite the right way. Yeah, Remember, oh, like, the, the Aganim yep. one where people that see it two to different too. ways yeah, of the yeah, head? Yeah. yeah. I was seeing this enemy a different way than everyone saw. They're like, dude, it's yeah. an angry mushroom. I'm like, no, that's like a, <laughs> look at it's like a giant hole in its head shooting out bombs. They're like, dude, that's no. amazing. Like, look carefully. Yeah. And I had to look at the sprite on the website, like, oh, oh, it is an angry mushroom. <laughs> I was, I was yeah. so angry. I was like, who put this double king? so good. Shooting bomb at me. <laughs> I was I one hate. of those. I was one of those people who looked at Aganim wrong all along as uh, a kid. I completely saw him the way, the wrong way, and I just when I first saw that, I'm like, everything. I mean, it, it makes sense when you see it that way because yes. it's like, well, of course that's how he's designed. But the way the pixels are aligned, it just doesn't make you. That's not the focal point necessarily. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was. I mean, I remember being able to see ver- both versions, but I didn't really think anyone saw that the way you were seeing sure. it. Because you saw real. the comic version. What you were, you were, you saw the comic. Yeah, version, yeah, right? yeah. Like so I, like, yeah. I, I, yeah. But I mean, even before that, I think I like knew. I was, like I saw it the way you were supposed to see sure, it. Sure, sure. And then, but I also saw a different way. I'm like, oh, it'd be funny if people saw it that way. And I'm like, oh, people <laughs> do see it that way. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, interesting phenomenon. Uh, uh, you know, one thing about. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, one thing about Link's Awakening's gameplay that we haven't quite touched on yet is how creative some of the dungeons themselves can be with with uh, you mm. know employing ideas, design ideas, that we really haven't seen in the series again since. Like, there's that one dungeon, I think it's... 
well, I don't want to say. I don't want to spoil too much. But there's a there's a puzzle with the Stalfos. Oh yeah. Which I need, yeah, I don't want to say too much. But that you haven't really seen. You know, it's kind of Forest Temple-y maybe from Ocarina, but you haven't really seen that kind of stuff. And the one uh, uh, one puzzle that took me forever as a kid in the water dungeon where once you get the flippers, there's a place you need yeah, to go. And that yeah. took me like a week as a kid, I'm sure. because I This know. game is very good at showing you something very early and seeing if you remember that you saw that. Cool. They, have, they, they have these <laughs> yeah. tricks where like, like uh, here's here's a hint. Uh, the 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 Staphos one he's talking about. You go into like the last room where you're supposed to fight it the last time. You don't realize it at first, and you progress to the dungeon and you fight it multiple times. And I think a lot of people forget where's the last room. I've been to every room already. Where's this last room? And you're like trying everything, and you probably won't realize. Wait, that very first room at the beginning when you went left, it's right. Oh, you're, oh, I'm supposed to go like they do that because they dump so much at you, and you're thinking about these puzzles a lot. I, I think they, they think they intended to do that, and I love that. Mm-hmm. There's like very simple solutions to things that seem so complicated. There's one engine, I won't say which one it is, but there is a central room which has a switch, and there's only one part where you need to lower the blocks of a different color. They're like the blue orange ones in the DX version when you see the color or the switch mm-hmm. version. You just have to get the dungeon's item. You can't access it unless you hit one of those crystal uh, color mm-hmm. block switches one time. And if you scour the dungeon on the map, you'll go to every room. None of them have it. And you'll be like ripping your hair out like, where the <laughs> hell is this? And there's parts you can't get to yet because you don't have the dungeon. I'm like, wait, am I supposed to go past this? And there's this one central room that you just get a bomb. You can bomb through any one of the four adjacent walls. You just bomb through it. And like the map shows you this like empty score in the middle. It's like, that seems a little suspicious. It, all the room has is a, is a block switch, and it's like really so that was, that was it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, pay attention to like most innocuous things because they would turn out to be important. And I love that about this. Like I think this was this definitely I think had a slightly more challenging dungeons in terms of like overcoming the obstacles than a link to the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and in fact, if you played the Oracle games, I've and not just oh, because yeah. there are follow ups to that game gameplay and engine wise, but. <laughs> The Oracle games and their dungeons kind of remind me of what Link's Awakening went for, too. And, of course, Link's Awakening probably inspired those dungeons. Oh, yeah. They but, get a little yeah. elaborate in the... They, especially in yeah. the Ages. Ages gets really yeah. mind-bendy. They, yeah. uh, they do some good jobs there. Yeah. Like, I always go back and... Like, we're changing every hour our favorite Zelda games. Oracle games, I go back and forth those. Like, for some reason, I'll just, like, in my head, have this, like, kind of, like, bias against it. Like, oh, yeah, they weren't, they were okay, but not that great. And then I'll replay them. Like, oh, yeah, these were really good. I have to keep, like, <laughs> keep, remember that they're actually good, but you think they're not good. And then I'll go be, like, a year later. I'm like, were they, you know, now yeah. I know better. But, yeah. yeah, the, the, those games are, if you haven't played those either, they're really good. Who knows? Maybe they'll be next up to get a remake. Um, Something that is in the Switch version that is in the uh, DX version of Link's Awakening. So Link's Awakening got a color version that came out in 1998 mm-hmm. uh, alongside the release of the Game Boy Color. And the two biggest changes were it added a, uh, a camera shop where you could go get 12 different photos uh, taken around Hyrule if you did certain events. That's not in the Switch game? Um, that is... I think, it's, I think that's been replaced by Dan Page's been, yeah, it's been re- dungeon. That, that, oh, okay. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. But All the right. other thing that was there was the color dungeon, which is... In, oh, is it okay? So, so that version. I hadn't, I hadn't confirmed that yet. So they, it is back. It, well, at E three, they said it was in there oh, I, then during I, the treehouse. I, totally I don't, it. Yeah. I haven't, I don't. I think I've seen footage of it. I think in the there's trailer. footage okay. of it, and I yeah. just haven't seen it yet. I've you can see him like pushing it. a red okay. enemy into a red square and a blue. Okay, enemy yes. You know, yes, I yes, always exactly. really yeah. enjoyed that dungeon, and okay. I like the weird feeling. The, the boss felt really weird from a visual standpoint to me, and I hope that comes over still. 
The whole dungeon um, doesn't make sense anymore on a Switch. The whole point was, yeah. hey, you can see colors right now. Yeah. Align these colors and like, the, so it's weird. So if you played it on an old Game Boy, it would still be there. It would just be unsolvable. Well, you couldn't actually. You couldn't even go. No, in. you couldn't go. The, the two skeleton guardians wouldn't let you go by. Really? You couldn't yeah, guess their. You, you wouldn't even let you guess their color. They actually oh, said like, it's yeah. this unplayable period. Yeah. And then they jokingly ask you a puzzle question, but it's like you just get to say what color they're. So they're just toying with me on the Game Boy. Yes, color they're just version. toying yeah. with you on the Game Boy. That's yeah. really Sorry, funny. Kyle. No, I know I you're thinking of way. Yeah. But like, no, like one of the bosses, like you think, like oh. How you defeat it has nothing to do with like your strength or even your sword. It's mm-hmm. like it, it you gotta use something else and it's a different type of battle. It's like, oh, they're going for a different angle here. And even the like the final boss thing is a little weird. I wonder if they do any updates to it, but uh yeah, I, I was trying to get your opinion on like how did you like the actual color dungeon. I actually um, really enjoyed it. And and I didn't know that it was back. I figured I would just find out when I was playing, but I, I also don't mind finding out, and I'm glad because I thought that was a fun extra chunk of content, you know, regardless of the of the context of being able to see it in color for the first time. It was just a fun extra dungeon. So sure. I'm glad, you know, they could very easily have tried to justify, like, and they've done this with with games like Ocarina when they port them to 3DS. They're like, well, let's not orchestrate the soundtrack because we want, the, you know, we want it to be as close to the original as possible. So they could have been like, well, this is a, a, a remake of Link's Awakening, not Link's Awakening Deluxe, so we don't need to remake that dungeon. I'm glad they didn't do that here. I'm glad they kept that kind of extra content that not everyone played back uh, in the day in and there. And great reward, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So for finishing the dungeon, you're well rewarded. Pretty cool so reward. Interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. Very curious to see if uh, I have a checklist of stuff to check in the Switch version. Are we allowed mm-hmm. to talk about your checklist? Uh, I'm going to give you one thing. Okay. Uh, I'm very curious to see, uh, and this is a hint if it, it does play out this way, if you're trying to solve the puzzle of how to open the entrance to the color dungeon, mm-hmm. um, there there is mm-hmm. something you can find that tells you how to do it, and then once you go to the spot to do it, uh, it will the last step will actually not work if you have someone following you around. Oh, mm. it will actually have a message saying like uh, something about like, cowards aren't allowed. Like you know, only those with strength or courage can go. Cowards can't pass. If you're freaking out, like whoa, what does that mean? Am I not powerful enough yet, or something? Come All it means later. is that yeah. you have an NPC following you around uh-huh. because most people go to that part at one of two spots and just finish that NPC quest and go back and you should be able to access it. Cool. Yeah, nice. Th- that's the original versions did that. I don't know if they kept that in. A lot of little things. Uh, Some good like one, yeah. one thing I definitely want to see when I try it out is uh, there's a sequence where a certain NPC follows you around. Um, someone you might have been waiting to have an uh, opportunity to hang out with. And uh, if you use the shovel... To dig, uh, they have they will interrupt you and say, "Yeah, dig, dig, mm-hmm. dig, dig it, dig to the center of the earth." Yeah. And it's like, oh, a little obsessed there. There's the a shovel. lot of weird, random stuff. So like, like these that. weird things, I'm, yeah. I'm curious to see if they come in there. Uh, like one, yeah. There's a lot of fun hidden things in the original games, and that also made it such a pleasure to to just go through and explore. Yeah, yeah. and what what I also like about it is it, it is it's fairly open-ended in the sense that it it's not exactly like a link between worlds and that it's mostly open world because there is a dungeon order, but a great example of, of early sequence breaking you can do and it's not you have to you don't have to glitch the game out, you just have to keep your eyes open. Yeah, and we did this to get more footage out of the E3 demo. Oh, yeah, demo. So I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so yeah. You, uh, you can get the magic powder from the crane game. As soon as you get enough rupees, like 10 rupees, mm-hmm. you get the magic powder from the crane game, you don't oh. even need to go to the witch's shop, and you just go straight to, uh, you know, well, I won't say anything, yeah. but you go straight to that and skip that whole part of the game. That's cool. And you can just do that naturally. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I love that. I, I, thought that we, I, I think we were talking about this, actually, at 
some point in the past. You told me about this one. I told Ash about what my roommate did at E3, Simmons, right. from your video games. Uh, he went into the first dungeon, got the item from that. We just said the rock's feather. Right. And, well, and then he and left I, we and accessed yeah, different parts funny. of the map you weren't yeah. supposed to go to yet. He went that's to really he went funny. to a NPC in, called Mr. Right. Right. And <laughs> checked it. I was like, oh, we got to see that and stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, got duh, to you can totally do that. That's yeah. really but, I mean, cool. Yeah, there, there's a lot of like opportunities for that type of thing. Um, for the most part, the dungeon order is kind of strict. Um, yes, I, I'm sure there'll be people checking out. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you can uh, bend those and go out of order and stuff like you can in the original version if you know how to do certain tricks. But uh, I kind of like that. I, I it wasn't necessarily a complaint of mine not being able to beat the dungeons in a different order because this was nah. such a story focused game. Each dungeon made sense, and I felt like. Uh, I, I felt like a purpose in going to them, and I didn't feel a desire to. Now nah, I want to go over here and check this out. Yeah. It's like no, this, the story is really good. I want to see the next part of the story. Like it was really driving everything forward. Well, not only that, you know, that kind of design, that kind of linear design, also lets you amp, you know, amp up the stakes. Because mm -hmm. one of the things I didn't like about a Link Between Worlds was that the fact that that open-endedness meant you could do the dungeons generally in any order except for the first one or two, which meant they couldn't they, they couldn't have a hard one. They couldn't have a hardest one because they <laughs> had to account for, you know, anyone you go to might yeah. be your first one, and that made all the dungeons a cakewalk. The game was so easy. I hear and, what you're saying. By the end, yeah. The first yeah. one the first ones you do will be the hardest, and then exactly. they actually get easier as you go on. And so, yeah. you know, and but as you know, playing, you both know, playing the original, the difficulty ramps up quite a bit as you get to those seventh and eighth dungeons, I would say. And and I like that about it. It, it feels like a, things are ramping up in a linear way, the way they should. They also put like I think like this game as well. They start introducing uh, good Zelda games introduce more difficult enemies in, in higher level dungeons or like if you know an order. Like I'm going back to the original game. They all like the dungeons actually had a number uh, mm -hmm. associated with them, like one through eight. But even though the fact that you could go ahead to dungeons further along, they were more difficult because they had harder enemies in them. And uh, sometimes you didn't have a certain item, you couldn't progress through that. And that that that's a whole different like like I like that philosophy as well. And I like that's something I think is more for me is reserved for like Breath of the Wild and its sequel especially is more what I want to see out of that is going in that direction. But there's definitely still a place for me for the more linear design um, because Link's Awakening showcased how it could still be done well, but still mm -hmm. give you a sense of exploration. There are other ways to dangle that carrot. Uh, another game that I really love that did this, I think, the linear story as the driving factor why I cared. I, I didn't care about it being so linear in nature, uh, was Final Fantasy X. I oh, really yeah. love that game. I really don't care about, oh, you're supposed to go on the, down this path, keep going down it, but like I'm motivated. I want to see the next story, whereas Final Fantasy Thirteen, which got ripped to shreds for that same thing. I liked it for that, though. But like just, my, yeah. my, my reason I didn't like it about Thirteen is because I didn't like Thirteen's story. Sure. I was not invested in that world, mm -hmm. yeah. and so I didn't. That, that reasoning was no longer there, and what was left wasn't compelling enough to justify well, that's all there is. Oh yeah, but, there, yeah. yeah. There was a time for, for a while that it got really obnoxious because the linearity became like this anti buzzword, and and people acted like no linearity is a subjectively bad thing. You don't want linear games. You want open world. You want big and better and and bigger. And I didn't like that. I kind of get that paralysis of analysis. Like when <laughs> I have too much to do, I don't want to do anything. And I like kind of being guided along a linear quest. And I get why people aren't, you know, that like the whole the, the popular thing right now is to make fun of walking sims. I get it. I get why people aren't necessarily into that. You know, there is such a thing as too linear. But even FF13, which it, with its poorer story than 10, I love the fact that I was able to get from story beat to story beat to story beat with no fluff. And it was actually the grand pulse of the, the part of the game where I was like, man, 
the momentum stopped. I kind of just want to keep going straight to the end. And so I don't think linearity has to be a bad thing. And I think we are past that point now where the general feeling is, hey, open world's great, but it's kind of been done to death. And maybe we want these slightly more bite-sized, you know, 30, 20-hour experiences as opposed to, like, another Witcher 100-plus hours. Sure. I mean, it's it's very interesting to do Link's Awakening uh, remake directly after Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is an insanely open Zelda game, just yeah. m- most most ever, I guess. You know, <laughs> yeah. And so it is. It is interesting. I, I wonder if that was part of the decision. Yeah, I wonder if it was just time to do a Link's Awakening remake. You know, I, I, it is interesting that they picked this one. That is, this is happening now. Yeah, I'm very. Uh, I really hope to get more. Of the uh, they do any deep dives with the developers post release. Yeah, I'd love to hear. What yeah. I'd really, was. I'd yeah. love to have like hear about those or just even have an opportunity because yeah. You, that seems interesting to do, do probably arguably the most complete opposite direction of Breath of the Wild you could go with this. Yeah. And I wonder if there's trying to maybe also gauge reception. Like, do, is there still a, a large audience of fans or just consumers who want a well, quote unquote more traditional old school style Zelda game alongside Breath of the Wild? Like, maybe they're using that to judge, like, going forward, hey, maybe we do need to do, like, alternating games or having a second team developing more of these Link's Awakening remakes or Link Between Worlds type games, Mm -hmm. the top-down isometric views style Zeldas, while we work on the longer development cycle Breath of the Wild type open air, as they call it, games. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm actually really thankful for that because right after Breath of the Wild, you know, came out, there was, there were those, uh, you know, Al Numa interviews and quotes where he kept but, you know, hammering the point in, Zelda is going to be open air going forward. And, you know, I thought Breath of the Wild was, was fantastic. It was one of the few open world games I've really enjoyed, uh, like alongside Horizon Zero Dawn. But I didn't want the whole future of Zelda to be that because I also prefer my more traditional or I also like yeah. and appreciate my more traditional Zeldas. And so I'm like, no, this isn't what I want as a Zelda fan. So I'm really happy that they have maybe pulled back from that a bit and, and kind of been like, okay. We need to keep them both going. Yes, maybe the big main console Zeldas will be open air going sure. forward, and that's fine. But you know, although I will say, from what I've seen of the, the Breath of the Wild two trailer, it may it gives me hope that maybe they're going for a little more of a story focused approach this time around. The trailer certainly was, oh, which yeah. I, I oh, hope yeah. so. Yeah, interesting pick. But, yeah, I mean, they know people love those characters. So, yeah, because yeah. I think I think Breath of the Wild's incredible gameplay married to a better story, or I should say, any story that doesn't that doesn't. Oh, hey, all the cool stuff happened a hundred years ago. Go have fun, you know. Yeah. So I think that's going to be really exciting. And uh, I, I think we have made it past that point, though, where linearity isn't necessarily a bad thing anymore. Yeah. I uh, Yeah. I, I, I think I would really like them to go that route with the, having, like, two styles of Zelda games always being constantly developed. Yeah. Like, it's kind of, like, my hope. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm always, like, as long as Zelda games are good, I'm happy in general. Sure. Right. As long right. as I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty much where I stand. Um in terms of like war- going forward um, with the Zelda series, but but also continue with like Link's Awakening, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit here. Okay, um, I'm going to move into our patron question section. Great. So I'm tra- right. also real quick. I'm trying something new. Um, instead of always weaving in patron questions in each of the segments, uh, I was, was going to try my hand and go back to more old school style of just doing a patron Q and A portion of the podcast because I saw some people ask basically just mentioning, hey. If how many? If I'm not interested in those topics, but I have a question I want you to talk mm-hmm. about, I have to wait for you to bring up that topic on the show. And if you don't ever do that, I can never. My question will never get answered, you know, or never come up. And you, you, I don't have to be reliant on your topics every week. Would you afford us an opportunity to at least have a chance for questions to be considered? And so sure. I'm trying to make sense. Out. Let's that see. Sense. Let's see how this goes. Uh, it's not definitive and final, but uh, um, uh, the thing about like going forward Zelda games, this is about remakes specifically. 
sorry, Link's Awakening. This comes from Botox Games. This is a bit of an odd question, but do you think, uh, do you all think that playing the original version of Link's Awakening before this remake would be beneficial? I'm having the same dilemma of Final Fantasy VII where I feel like I should play the original version before the remake in order to appreciate what the remake is doing, but at the same time, I feel as though it might burn me out or something. Would love to hear what you think, love and respect. That's a really great question, yeah, and, I, and my answer to that is I think if you had asked me that question six months ago, I would have said, yes, play the original so you can appreciate the context, <laughs> but... This remake is a very, for for you know, most intents and purposes, it is a very straight one for one remake of the original game. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't play the original and get all of its, you know, its own yeah. little quirks and characteristics. And I think that you should play, like, play the original going forward later on, but don't play the original two days yes. before the remake comes out. Jeez, you will burn out. Yes. Now, yeah, with that. But, I agree with yeah. that. Yeah. But to answer, answer the second part of your question, play FF7 because you got until March, and from what we all have played of the remake by now, I, I think we can all agree it's not a one-for-one one remake, oh, even close. Extremely different. And, and yep. it's going to be a completely different experience. So I think you can comfortably say, I'm not burned out on FF7 you know, after I play the original going into remake because it's a completely different vibe. Yeah. But for Link's Awakening, hold off. I think even like yeah. a lot of the dialogue is the same. And so I think right. it'll get very, very redundant to you quickly. Exactly. So like maybe wait six, like beat, beat the remake, wait six months, and then play the original for appreciation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. That's very good advice. Um, yeah. Final Fantasy VII, yeah, definitely play the original before because I think it's only going to enhance your experience. Exactly, because you'll really appreciate how far yeah. things have come and, and how they're focusing on different things. And yeah. yeah. Um, our next question comes from Lunar Knight. Hey, allies. With the last two single-player 2D Zelda games being a sequel, A Link Between Worlds, and a remake, Link's Awakening, do you think we'll ever get a brand new 2D Zelda during the Switch's lifetime? Hmm. Now, hold on a second. A Link Between Worlds, is, we call that a sequel? To A Link to the Past, yeah. Yeah, it's a direct In sequel. Japan, it's called A Link to the Past 2, Kyle. You're yeah. right. You know yeah. what? I can't refute it. I can't refute <laughs> it's that. Called yeah. I mean, it's 300 I mean, years yeah. later in the same As idol. we said, like yeah. the narrative of A Link to the Past wasn't as fleshed out as like something like Link's Awakening. Like, they right. made A Link's Awakening 2 or called it like A Link Between Awakenings or whatever, and it was like <laughs> we care more about that as a sequel sequel. Yeah. yeah. Link Between Worlds is a thematic and like almost a literal sequel in terms of like the same world and stuff. But like right. narratively it's not a continuation of a Link to the Past story. Yeah. Well what's kind of cool and it's just a total aside, but what I love about a Link Between Worlds is there is a little hidden away Easter egg that if you explore mm-hmm. enough, you can find it. And I think you might know what I'm talking about in the Lost Woods, where you get this wonderful sweet little story chunk that kind of tells you a little more about what happened to that Link in Zelda and A Link in the Past. Yeah. All right, we, Link we, the past. we can spoil A Link Between Worlds. What do you find? So it's... Oh, we can, right? A Link Between yes, Worlds? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, it so, seems like seven years old. So now, there's right? some... Okay, okay. Yeah, there's some cave yeah. uh, in, Lo- in Lost Woods where you have to use some combination of items to get it, and it's, like, really well hidden. But you go there, and you find a woman who was like a historian uh, at yeah. the time of, of the events of A Link to the Past. I can't remember how she's still living. Yeah, but she tells like, you what? that essentially, you know, that the that, that Link and that Zelda really cared about each other and that they ultimately had a happy ending. And Whoa. It, you don't get that stuff very often from, no. especially Link. A direct yeah. 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 Dude. So they don't beat you over the head with it, but if you really want to probe, they they kind of give you that little hey that's kind of what happened. It's a there. nice touch. That's yeah. cool. I did not It's not know quite that like before. Nico beating you over the head at uh, the beginning of a uh, Phantom Hourglass. 
where he survived from the Wind Waker and is the one retelling you the yeah. story of mm-hmm. the Wind Waker and what right. happened. Right. And he's like, old Nico. And I was like, all right, everybody, remember that story? And it's like, oh. And they did that well, sorry, again. I'm sorry, in Spirit Tracks. Yeah, Spirit Tracks, Spirit Tracks. From the, uh, yeah, the Descendant of Tetra yeah. or her like, disciple or whatever. Yeah. I yeah. Lo- And she had the same kind of hair. That was so good. Yeah. Spirit Tracks was great. Yeah. The, the, yeah, sorry, the intro of Spirit Tracks where Nico's doing like the little like story, art story stuff. I was yeah. like, oh, oh yeah, it was both of them. So I forgot. Good. Yeah, it was Nico. Because he does it at the beginning of Phantom Hourglass, but he's young and he's right. recapping the Wind Waker but yeah. then he's doing it at the end oh yeah so good but I mean uh, do you think we'll actually get to answer the question do you actually think we'll get a new original 2D Legend of Zelda on, in the Switch's lifetime hmm man that's tough in the Switch's lifetime is hard yeah it's yeah. basically what is the next one right I, I don't imagine there's a lot more left on the Switch for Zelda uh, after Breath of the Wild 2 so, right, we'll probably get one more top-down. Yeah, and I feel like there's a third option here. We've only been talking about isometric and Breath of the Wild style, but yeah. I think there exists a third type of Zelda game. Yes, the Okami-style oh. pre-Breath of the Wild 3D Zelda. O- Ocarina of Time and Majora's yeah. Mask 3D, like Grezzo develops a 3D traditional yes. Zelda game yes. using the that engine, but like up essentially. Like, heck, even Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask 3D could be just re-released on... Like touched up something right. on that scale, I would love to death. Yeah. I would love that. Like an original, yeah. like yeah, like an original traditional 3D Zelda game. I would yeah. love yeah. something like something new like that. That would be like a, a callback to that pre Breath of the Wild style of 3D Zelda. I think yeah. that would be so much fun. But I do think there is a chance we could get another uh, an original 2D Zelda on the Switch, only because we have Link's Awakening now. I don't think they're going to go for the remake angle twice. Yeah. So, and I think maybe then porting a Link Between Worlds might still be too similar. So I think there's a chance maybe toward the end of the Switch's life cycle, although we're assuming a lot with that because I can't yeah. see Nintendo really ever veering away from the gold mine that they've hit with the Switch because why would they, right? So, you know, five years from now, we may be talking about the Switch 2 or Switch Pro or whatever mm-hmm. that has its own Zeldas, but it's still part of the Switch yeah. family. Sure. You know. Uh, I guess my concern is if they do a unique thing, it'll be a gimmicky Triforce Heroes element. Like, yeah. this is our multiplayer yeah, Zelda game not, where yeah. everybody gets to customize their own Link or Zelda. You know, like, that kind of thing. Uh, that is my fear, I guess. Yeah. It's like, hey, hate, we have a free-to-play Zelda I game. I don't want that. I, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I really, I've always, I mean, I've always had a little bit of, like, special spot for Zelda and, and like, viewed it as a little bit more of a prestigious seri- series from Nintendo. Yeah. And every time that there has been a spinoff type game, um, some, like, they're not all equally thing, but like Triforce Heroes is especially egregious to me. I was just right. like, please let's never, please just never do that again. Mm-hmm. There's so many other like you can make a Mario game like that, and that's okay. Mario is known to branch out and do all this stuff. But like, I'd rather you spend time making more traditional type Zelda games. I mean, right. you can try new ideas, but stay away from multiplayer yeah. and stay away right. from like uh, like multiplayer online, especially. It's like I don't want I don't want multiplayer in my Zelda games. Like even Four Swords was like a little too much for me. I was like, okay, no. See, I actually had a lot of fun with Four Swords because I, you know, I would get friends together sometimes and actually have the equipment to play Four Swords Adventures on our TV, and that was a blast. I have to say, but I don't think they replicated that formula well with Triforce Heroes. Yeah. They just didn't quite hit the same notes as some of their other multiplayer efforts did. I think. Uh, What's funny, I just realized we actually do have an original 2D Zelda on the Switch already, Cadence of Hyrule. (laughs) I know it doesn't technically count, but... Almost. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
Next question comes from Rammer. Uh, greetings panel. Nintendo seems very hesitant to change anything substantial with their remakes, remasters of the Zelda franchise. Reading several previews of Link's Awakening, it seems to follow the original closely as well. My question to the panel, if Nintendo were to remake another Zelda game, which title would you choose? Would you rather have it faithful to the original in the style of the Link's Awakening remake, or perhaps a more substantial overhaul in the vein of Resident Evil 2 Remake? Ooh, Love and respect. That's a good question. And that's our last patron question. All right. Hmm. That's. It's I'm, I'm so torn. funny. If yeah. you asked me a year ago, I would say Link's Awakening. It's that type yeah. of like yeah. another Link's. I would say remake. remake like, no, I mean like that would be my number one request of any Zelda oh, game of okay. all time would be to mm-hmm. remake Link's Awakening. Um, and kind of, I think I get the hint that they don't love the, the length to which it's being remade, and I'm kind of with them. I wish they would go crazier. I wish they would yeah. be, I guess, uh, less beholden to the original. Uh, and so I'm with you there. Man, what other Zelda game? Do you have one, Damiani? I feel like you would know I mean, your answer to this question. Uh, 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 uh. They, they've obviously played it safe with a lot of them. I mean, Ocarina of Time 3D like, was just a graphical overhaul and some slight quality of life changes, but nothing substantial. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, but now that I've seen a few different remakes, I, I'm more a believer in like, going crazy, especially more I see Final Fantasy VII. It's kind of yes. like, it's changing I want to see something. Yeah. In fact, I, I, my answer is, I, wanna, I know Ocarina of Time gets a lot of releases and stuff, but like, I would love to see them go as crazy as, as Square Enix is going with Final Fantasy yeah. VII Remake with Ocarina of Time. Like, a full-blown, like, it's not the same game. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. this, if you play the original, you're, things are going to be different. And it's gonna be, it's gonna wow you. Yeah, I and think, yeah. I want, I, I like, I'm, I, yes, like I'm so excited with that <laughs> thought. It's yeah. just like, yeah, that would be so cool. But at the same time, there are other Zelda games I think are more deserving. And my my like good hearted answer is Zelda Two. I the, know because that's what I was like. Oh man, I want to say an two aggressive deserve, remake. Like Zelda Two deserves yeah. either a very faithful like update. Like maybe like a way forward or Yakub Games or someone with that expertise could just update it oh, like almost the Samus Returns like like that yeah. level right. of an effort, mm-hmm. or you know if they want to go reimagining sure but like I think it is a very unique Zelda game and I think it would be best served by being preserved as is maybe a few quality of life changes to yeah, make it a little bit more accessible but like this is a unique Zelda experience I th- like a Link's Awakening I think it would benefit so well from a more one-to-one type remake like the Link's Awakening versus something like an FF7 remake. Although so I do have to say the idea hacks, yeah. the idea of a 3D reimagining of, of Zelda 2's dungeons and worlds. Oh, yeah. Because that is fascinating to think about. But I agree. I think I think a, a, like a way forward style remake is more along the lines of what people would want. Um, I, that, see, I was torn between that answer because I, I agree with yeah, you that I it know kind of you, deserves yeah. it. But see, I never quite got over my... I, I was on the internet all the time chasing those Triforce rumors about Ocarina of Time. And of course, <laughs> the Triforce is not in the game and the Sky Temple is not in the game uh, and all that good stuff. But I would... I would in, in, in my, my oh fan gosh, you know, yes. mind, I want a remake of Ocarina of Time that that organically incorporates all those elements where you can find that unicorn fountain. You can find the, Wait, the, is there the a sky hint temple. Wait, unicorn fountain? There, it's, it's, in the, it's like uh, part of the, the beta. It's, it's yeah. like oh, cool. uh, unused files and stuff that, oh, that that's fans fun. like to speculate. Maybe that's how you get the Triforce. Because you know there's that hollowed out Triforce around all the medallions and you can mm-hmm. fill everything else out in the menu. That was the big menu, ba- or the big rumor back in the day is yeah, you could yeah. get the Triforce. And there were all these different rumors on how you could do it. I would like a remake of Ocarina of Time that not only actually... Like, I want an orchestrated soundtrack. And like you said, kind of a more from-the-ground-up remake. But 
I do think it would be fun if they it would it would obviously change the story in fundamental ways and it wouldn't be Ocarina of Time anymore and I get that. But just I still kinda that that was it's kinda like the stop and swap thing that never I never closed that loop in Banjo Kazooie's stop and swap because they never actually used yeah. it. So I just feel like that loop never closed. But um I guess, you know, in terms of something realistic, I would love to see Wind Waker remastered again with the dungeons that were originally cut from it to kind of fix the game's flow because it is my favorite Zelda game mm-hmm. despite its issues. That's a good pick. That's interesting. But I want to see the original yeah. vision for that game that had more than four major dungeons, five major dungeons. And they also have the technology now, like they said, like technology held them back even for the great ocean, realizing the great ocean as well on a technical level. Right. Um, yeah, going back with new technology to fully realize that. And I know a lot of, there is a segment of the fan base who loves, and anytime you bring up what your argument was about the win Waker, hey, put the original dungeons. Like they were put in those those dungeons were literally put into future Zelda games. So you've right. seen those dungeons. Like there's nothing to stop them from going to add new dungeons. Like there were, right. were there were supposed to be dungeons in place of certain content in yeah, the Wind like Waker. Yeah, fill those voids Just with new ones. Make a brand new dungeon. Like come yeah. up with a new idea. Like wow us again. You know, with something yeah. unique and original. Like that's what you're really asking. You're yeah, asking, like, like I want what? the skeleton yes. of the original vision yes. of the Wind Waker uh, because I still think it's a brilliant game despite its pacing issues. And I just would love to see the skeleton of the original, you know, vision for that game. Yeah, I definitely understand that. I have a cheat answer. Sure, Cal. It's a game we, t- we talked about earlier on in this podcast, oh, yeah, actually. Sure. It's not a Zelda game, but it's kind of like the predecessor of Zelda on Game yeah, Boy. Yeah, I know you're going. For Frog the Bell Tolls. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Would be a sick remaster. Kyle? Yeah. I know people have the game, and like people might know the answer, and I, I know it's highly doubtful. Yeah. What if when you beat Link's Awakening on like hero mode, no deaths or something, you <laughs> yeah. unlock the remake of for Frog the Bell Tolls then I would on do that? It. On or that you game. unlock and Richard as a player. And it's yeah. got an yeah. official yeah. translation. Or yeah, an alternate yeah. skin. You play as yeah. Richard at least. There you go. That could be like, do well. it, dude. Yeah. Yes. I, I think I may have misinterpreted the question. Could we pick any game, not no, just Zelda? No, Kyle's it was just Zelda. Kyle okay. just wants to and do that. Okay. Close enough. Yeah. Okay. I was like, wait a minute. My answer might change. Okay. Close enough to a Zelda game. Yeah. I thought maybe I could get away with that answer, but yeah, I think I think that game. Is more deserving. It's a very, very deserving yeah. Nintendo sure. game that's really interesting that could use at least a re-release. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and because I just got to play it last year for the first yeah. time, and that game holds up. It's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes so many places in a really interesting way. It's an adventure, and it's just man, ignored. It's just yeah, buried. I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, along that line, uh, marvelous. Sure. Treasure Island. You just played one. that recently too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a Numa. That one's got a good, that one's got a shot, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Here we go. A platinum action game starring Takamaru. From a <laughs> from the ground up re- weird reimagining uh, of uh, mysterious Mutasame Castle. Yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Right. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. We're perfect here. I want them all. Well, that's a great place to wrap this up. Such good ideas here. Um, see if they have any of them come to fruition in the future. Uh, just love Zelda. I can't wait. To, I, I know by this point, if you're listening to this, you might already be playing the Link's Awakening remake on Switch. Um, despite it even being one to one, I'm still very excited to to play through it. And it's a special game. This yeah. is like the visual. Yeah. Like I'm on board with the visuals. I'm I'm like so the, glad. Oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. I'm oh, just on board with the visuals. Yeah. I'm not on the camp Loved of it. like I'm not. Uh, it's not doing anything for me. Every time I see a screenshot of an, an interior, how it's been reimagined, like the witch's hut was enough to sell me alone because the original version of Wizard Hutch is a bunch of pots around in a square room and then like the the Switch version so much atmosphere and mood yeah. and like 
all the little trinkets stuff. I was like, perfect. This is great. I'm going to love this. No, I'm loving the visual style as well. And uh, I have to say, I'm really glad that I wasn't the one assigned to Link's Awakening on the GX <laughs> crew because it's allowing me to just kind of, you know, bide my time and enjoy it at cool. my own pace and not have to rush through it. So because, again, this game is so special. I think that's the main point that we've all tried to get across more than anything. And I don't want to rush through it. But, you know, I'm sure they, that that's its own experience. But I'm just so glad I get to experience this at my own pace and just really take in what is a what seems to be a fantastic maybe seems to be a fantastic remake of one of my favorite childhood games yeah for sure that is going to do it for this episode of friend code thank you to everyone who submitted questions for this episode let me know how you liked uh doing the questions at the end instead um if you want me to go back the other way just let me know but uh, to be able to submit a question for consideration for friend code you have to be a five dollar and up patron uh, that allows you to submit questions for the episodes. Uh, all the way, I used to make a top a post letting you know the topics. Now I'm just going to make a post calling for your submissions, and you can ask whatever you want. Um, as also, uh, blah, blah, blah. If you're also a $5 patron, you are also part of the Early Access tier where you get episodes of this show, Friend Code, as well as some of our other shows early as well. And uh, I know it's not out yet, but I just want to also add a little fun little thing. We shot the new season of Achieve It Yourself recently. Oh, yeah, And man. Nice. super excited about it. Really yes. good time. And I can't... And offshoot of this very podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Spinoff, basically. Yeah, spinoff of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. Someday someone will make a nice remake of it. Yep. And I guess before you wrap up your outro, I should say thank you both as always. I, I love oh, being here you. with you guys oh, yes. all the thank time. Thank you. So. The, we're yes. going really late on a Tuesday night because this is a really hectic week. For right. for me, but like I think for all of us as well. Um, yeah, before we sign off here, Ash, do you have like anything you're working on or anything you want to call to that? Uh... Um, I mean, I, I am working for this company called NRM Streamcast now. It's okay. NRMStreamcast.com. That's kind of like my my main gig outside of nice. Game Explain because GX doesn't pay the bills, so you know I gotta gotta pay that rent and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it is a uh, it's a it's a media broadcasting company. We have our own proprietary streaming platform. And oh. they uh, they hired me to kind of shore up their gaming content on that platform. Oh, nice. oh cool. So I hope yeah. to have some stuff to share on that front somewhat awesome. soon. I might have something cooking. Uh, so, yeah, I'll be kind of doing my own thing. But, of course, you can always find me on Game Explained, although not near, not as uh, often all the time because, again, I've got my own job to do. So Sure. Uh, but, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter, Ash Paulson. I talk a lot about video game music. So if you're into video game music, uh, follow me and we'll chat about, you know, Link's Awakening's remade soundtrack. Oh nice. yeah, I can't yeah. wait! I can't wait! I know I've heard stuff from it already, but like I can't wait to right. just like take a knee and listen to a bunch oh, of the tracks. Yes. Oh yeah, yes. Headphones on. Headphones oh, always. Yes. on. Always Crank headphones it. on. Uh, yeah. Yes. And uh, yeah, but thank you both for joining me again. Thank you, everyone, as usual. And until next time, a very appropriate saying: "May the way of the hero lead to the Triforce." 